Chris and Chris Talk Movies. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Chris Ferry, and of course, this is my co-host. My name is Chris Huddleston. And today we are both very excited to be talking to you about Darren Aronofsky's critically acclaimed film, The Wrestler. piece of meat and I deserve to be all alone. I just don't want you to hate me. Two words, three, match. Bring it. You know, with a little luck, this could be my ticket back on top. 80s man, best ever. Guns and Roses. Crew. Yeah, then that Cobain had to come around and ruin it all. <laughs> 90 sucks. 90 sucks. These things that have comforted me, I drive away. My only faith's in the broken bones and bruises I display. You know, the only place I get hurt is out there. I'm really here. synopsis for us mr Adelson. i do so the wrestler is a 2008 film as you said it is a it was directed by darren aronofsky it stars mickey rourke marissa tomei evan rachel wood and the synopsis from imdb is as such a faded professional wrestler must retire but finds his quest for a new life outside the ring a dispiriting struggle it's a pretty good Short but sweet synopsis. Short but sweet. So I had watched this. I watched this once before in the movie, in the cinema. You had not. So this was a first time watch for you, correct? That's correct. What did you think? I don't use the term lightly, but I think it's, I think it's a masterpiece. I think it's just one. I'll put it this way. I don't very often in my life look at a piece of art and say, I wish I had made that, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, ah, man, it, it's just such a remarkable piece of filmmaking uh, on so many levels. And I find I'm excited to talk about it with you. I realize that I don't know enough about film to really go as deep as this film goes. Like you can talk about it on a metaphorical level with the story and the themes explored in the story. You can talk about it on a technical level. For example, I know that the majority of this film, the vast majority of this film shot on a single, uh, like it's like a 12 millimeter lens. It's like a pocket camera. It's a handheld Right. It's mostly natural lighting, then not a bunch of fancy lighting setups in this. Um, there's just so, so much to talk about. And I feel like if I really knew filmmaking deeply, that it would just it would be rich all the way down. You know what I mean? Um, so it's a little bit frustrating to intuit everything going on in this film and be here 
talking with you about it in a way that I feel like is at least in part, I'm going to be like Chris Farley being like, oh, you all, you remember that part when like, that was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, but I, I think we could do a little bit better than that. Um, you had already told me that, that this was a film that you admired. W- what was it about? What about, what do you admire about this film? Well, so I've said this before on this podcast, Darren Aronofsky is one of those directors for me that uh, he's not made a bad film. I still haven't seen The Whale and I still haven't seen Noah, which we talked a little bit about that. So, but everything else I've loved, um, you know, and I think it's pretty rare for a director to have no misses, even greats like Spielberg. Now, Aronofsky hasn't directed a ton of films. He doesn't have a huge filmography, but, you know, everything that he's done has been so impressive to me. And when a lot of times when they'll start talking about a new project, like when this started being discussed before there was a trailer or anything, and it's like, Oh, he's going to do this movie about a wrestler. And I thought, I don't really like wrestling. Do I, do I want to watch a movie about a wrestler? And the same thing sort of with black Swan. It's like, I don't know anything about ballet. I'm going to like a movie about, and you know, it was amazing. And the same thing with this. So I've said many times he is a director that, for me, a trailer, all it would need to be is just a black screen with white text, his name on it. The next Darren Aronofsky movie, and I'm going to want to watch it, right? Yeah. Um, like you said, the way this is shot, it's 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 shot. So you compare this to something like Black Swan, which is pretty stylized, and there's some special effects and, and, and that kind of thing uh, in that movie. Whereas this is shot very much like a documentary. Um, you know, it's very stripped down. There's no, not a lot of fancy, I, I, you know, maybe in terms of shots, but there's not really special effects per se in this. Um, I think Mickey Rourke did a tremendous job here. I mean, he's just amazing. And I, I, I should have looked this up beforehand. I know he received nominations. I don't know was only nominated for two Oscars, the movie. Um, we can come back to that. But I, I believe he was not nominated for an Oscar, but not did not win. Mickey Rourke. Um, but, you know, he was kind of born to play this role because he's a guy that early in his career, you know, he was almost sort of like a pretty boy actor. And now, you know, in real life, much like the character, he seems kind of broken and beaten down you know and all that um i think it's just a great story that you have this guy who was you know and we we see him at the end i mean literally at the end um that he was once you know sort of a star wrestler and now he's he's pretty much homeless and works in a deli and you know it's 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 rocky but even more, you know, it's Rocky without the happiness, basically, you know, because even though Rocky loses at the end, there's still some, you know, he's kind of a loser that uh, things start to go well for him. And I mean, Mickey but, Rourke, we meet him at a time that he's lost. and But it's know. very much like Rocky in that the point of Rocky's journey is to take a beating, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's not the triumph in Rocky is that he doesn't beat um, Apollo Creed. Uh, Apollo Creed, but he goes the distance with Apollo he Creed. Like he, it, Apollo Creed beats the crap out of him, but he keeps, he, Apollo Creed doesn't knock him out. Mm-hmm. So he he loses that fight, but the triumph for him is that he, can take that beating. And I think as a working class metaphor that this is the same sort of thing, like his job is to take a beating for these crowds. Right. And I think, again, this is one of those places where I don't feel like I have thought and read about this movie enough to really grasp the profundity of this message, but there's so much of the American metaphor of the American working class metaphor in this film of at one point, I mean, he lives in a trailer park, right? Where Mm -hmm. he couldn't, he didn't make the, 
he didn't make the rent. He's not, he doesn't even own the trailer. He's renting the trailer from mm-hmm. the guy and he, he's locked out of it one night because he hasn't made, he hasn't paid rent. Um, and then the kids at the trailer park love him and he's always horsing around with the kids. He's actually quite a friendly, gentle guy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one scene, one of the kids from the trailer park is, is sitting in his trailer with him and they're playing uh, Coleco or, uh, you know, Nintendo or something like that. And it's a wrestling game. And there mm-hmm. is, a, you he's know, he's a it. Hulk Hogan figure. Right. Um, without the television success of Hulk Hogan. Um, but they're playing a video game. And the first thing is like, oh, that's sort of nostalgic and sad. And then you go, wait a minute. They made a video game about this guy and he's mm-hmm. living in a trailer park. Right. I mean, yeah. Somebody made money off of this video game, but it clearly wasn't him, the subject of the video game. Mm-hmm. And and to me, that really, that really, that moment kind of encapsulated. There's just no, there's no way for, or the Marissa Tomei character, there's no way for them to win. Like they find themselves in this kind of trough where the only thing available to them is to sell sex or violence as entertainment. And there isn't an avenue out. You know, I mean, he works at a grocery store, but he's like loading boxes and working at the delis, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think in some ways, and then the, the audiences, the people that are coming into these places, um, are paying for a kind of escape there it's all pretty depressing although i don't i don't actually feel like one of the things that i think is a real triumph about this movie is while it is a tragedy and by the way spoiler we're going to spoil these movies that we talk about if you've never listened to us before um while it is a tragedy um i don't feel like the beat to beat storytelling in this movie feels heavy and leaden and depressing it feels Mm -hmm. occasionally hopeless but he chooses to stay in the ring to die doing the thing that he loves right Right. and while that is a depressing thought right and while he doesn't make that connection with marissa tomei at the end um, his choice to he he seems to find a real joy in the ring, and that is the that the intensity of that emotion, despite the peril, I think, comes through more strongly enough in there that you don't, you know, Requiem for a Dream. That's a hard movie to watch. Sure, there's just not a lot of sunshine in that movie, and mm-hmm. you end that movie thinking like, hmm. You know, yeah, <laughs> I don't, I don't know when I'm going to be happy again. <laughs> We've talked about that before. That that's one of the greatest movies that I've only watched once. And, and I think I in this, really I think in this film, he before. manages to deal with some really depressing, really heavy themes, but do so in a way that feels relatable and not happy per se, but the moments of joy that these characters find feels com- incredibly genuine and incredibly infectious. They're singing. He, he's takes, he talks Marissa Tomei into going out for a beer, one beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, they're playing some eighties songs on the, on the jukebox and they're singing and he's sort of dancing and they have this moment of genuine joy together. That looks so easy and so natural. That's really hard to get mm-hmm. on film. And this whole thing is shot with this kind of handheld camera. You said it looks like a documentary. It does. It feels like the camera person. It makes us as the audience feel like we're part of the conversation, like we're standing there with them. And um, and, and rather than have a bunch of fancy light setups and scenic setups and um, and camera setups, that distance us that make it feel presentational right and what we come to sort of expect from from movies this does have that feeling of like you're just um you're just another person walking alongside of him you know 
taking this all in as if you're also part of it. Mm-hmm. And um, that makes me um, all the more impressed with the performances that he gets out of these actors. I, you know, Marissa Tomei, um, I've always been a fan of Marissa sure. Tomei. She does some really terrific acting work in this. And I think <laughs> her acting work is almost eclipsed by uh, how sexy she is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like th- she's, I a, think she a, was 43 when this was made. She's like an that. exotic dancer, right? So mm-hmm. she spends a significant amount of her screen time. I'd say at least half of her screen time in just a G string uh, uh, up on stage with a stripper's pole. And it's, it, it's so, um, she's so committed to the part. Um, and it's just, She's so literally exposed on camera. Uh, I mean, she looks amazing. She's she's gorgeous. Uh, she doesn't look forty, whatever. Or mm-hmm. you know, I wish I had been in that kind of shape when I was forty. But um, it's not just that, you know. It it isn't. It it sells that that that's what she's selling. But then we get to know her character as Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke's character is making advances. He's genuinely sweet on her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see, we get to start to see the woman that is, you know, why she has such a protective um, sort of suit of armor on around her heart. Um, and it all just rings incredibly true to me, you know? She's yeah. a single mother and she doesn't want to, you know, tell him that. Of course, then we we find out he wasn't a great husband. He wasn't a great father. And we meet Evan Rachel Wood plays his daughter. She's really great, too. Another terrific, terrific performance. And, you know, a different kind of movie would give us these sort of treacly sweet, a reunion with the daughter, um, you know, and a new chapter of life but people don't really can't change on a dime and he like messes that. it up you know yeah he messes it up in the way that he doesn't mean to Mm-mm. genuinely sincerely doesn't mean to but he does because like you said he's not he's not a bad guy really you he know? doesn't he doesn't have ill intent mm-hmm. but I, I mean from what we know about him we say uh, pretty clearly a bad father like mm-hmm. And yeah. doesn't, you know, I mean, he, he he lets himself off the hook to a certain degree, but he doesn't deny it. Like when he's he's apologizing to his daughter, he says, you know, I left. I I deserve to be alone. I just don't want you to hate me. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, it was so. So good. I wondered about the performances and I, I wonder, you know, what your thoughts are on this, you know, being an actor. Um. I don't know enough about how Darren Aronofsky works. If he sticks to the script or if actors are, if he allows his actors to ad lib, but everything seems so naturalistic in this, like uh, the speech that he sort of gives at the end before the last fight. And he's talking up there about how, you know, all the problems that he's had and everything. I wonder if that was written or if he just said that, you know what I mean? Off the cuff, because it's, it just sounds so sincere and and real and doesn't sound like scripted, you know? Yeah. I have no idea, but um, I have no idea how he works. Uh, Some of it, I think some of it's definitely scripted because I don't think Mm -hmm. you get performances like that shot like this without rehearsing them the way you would rehearse a play. Um, but also like the scene in the, in the deli when he's, he's kind of riffing with the people, you know, and he's handing out the, um, it, I mean, it seems almost like they just, some of those people did not seem like actors. It, it right. seems almost like they just had real customers coming in. And I guess I was watching that and I thought, I wonder if, if, you know, they just shot this in a real grocery store and they just had people coming in you know, almost not knowing it was a movie because it just seems so realistic. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. You should be able to Google that. My, I guess yeah, my gut is like, I, my gut would be no. I think my yeah. gut is that those are our actors and they had sure. a set. And um, for example, people who aren't actors, 
you, you wouldn't, they would look at the camera. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, and you think that's a little thing, but you, you know, if you're not an actor, you're like, Oh yeah, you want to be in a movie? Very difficult not to look directly at the camera. Yeah. Cause you're curious about it. Sure. Um, so, I mean, I think those people are probably all actors, but I think he definitely directed them in a style that's like, you know, this is as slice of life as it gets, you know? And, yeah. and I want, you know, I, the job I want you people to do is I want you to know what you've done that day. I want to know, you know, what did you have for breakfast? And, you know, what did you do in the morning? And, and, you know, what did you do right before you got here and what's going on in your life? And it can be, it can be whatever you're doing in your life, but, um, I want you to have a sense of your day and where this falls in your day. And what was the last thing you did before you walked in here? And what's the next thing you've got planned once you get the stuff from the deli counter and you leave. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, and not everybody works with extras that way, but I, I think that you don't get that kind of specificity without paying attention to everybody. And you mm -hmm. can't shoot this way, this kind of hovering, you know, I'm camera standing right next to you, documentary style thing without thinking about all three, uh, 360 degree, everybody in the shot. And mm -hmm. I, I think Mickey Rourke probably does work um kinetically like tries to i think he probably tries to mix it up and keep it fresh and surprise himself mm -hmm. with different little there's one where he's sort of he's getting a little amped up or whatever and he's like kind of banging on the counter and he's raising his voice and he's like being a little borderline inappropriate earlier mm -hmm. on and and i thought i bet they did a few takes of this and uh you know this is one of those kind of mix it up takes, but yeah, it works. Oh yeah. Was this movie what you, I always think it's kind of interesting, you know, when you watch a movie that's been out for quite a while, cause this came out in 2008 and you're aware of is it, was this what you expected it to be or was it different than what you were expecting or. I didn't really know anything about it. I knew it was Mickey Rourke and I knew it was about a wrestler. Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't even watched the trailer frankly. Oh, okay. Um, but 2008 was the year my son was born. So hmm. I, I just wasn't you weren't watching a lot of movies. I wasn't. Um, and I mean, there wasn't a nearby movie theater. I lived, I had moved in with Rachel and so we lived out in Williamsburg and there's a couple of cool theaters around there now, but I would have had it gone into Manhattan or further out and I, this wasn't a period when I was watching a lot of movies, but, um, sure. You know, it was Aronofsky. So I expected it to be interesting. Mm -hmm. I wasn't like, Oh, this doesn't suck. I mean, I thought it was going to be good and you had said it's really good. So I was like, then I looked on Rotten Tomatoes. It had 98. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. But beyond that, I didn't like, I didn't know any of the, I didn't know it was going to be shot in that style. I didn't realize it was going to, it was going for something so naturalistic. Um, I was blown away by the performance. I'm not a big fan of Mickey Rourke. It was like, oh, Mickey Rourke. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to be like, what's the big deal? He's, he's good on screen. Sure. Um, but until I saw him in this performance, did I say like, wow, that's, that is remarkable. He vanishes into this role. You buy oh, it. Oh, yeah you buy it completely that this is what he's done his whole career. And there's kind of nothing else he can really do. You know, it isn't the, the great thing about this movie to me is that it manages to talk about sort of big themes of what, what it is to be an American consumer and what it is to be part of the kind of working class and, to feel exploited and to feel hopeless and just to feel like this is what like, you know, the, 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 the uncomplaining suffering <laughs> of, of just day-to-day -day American life where it's like, there's no expectation that it's ever going to be better or should be better. Or you deserve it to be better or that somebody did this to you. Maybe there's a vague sense that, you know, somebody somewhere has kind of got their foot on your throat in some way that, 
no matter what you do, you're not ever going to quite be able to rise. You know, when you have those thoughts, you're just kind of like, oh, quit feeling sorry for myself. And, you know, mm -hmm. and I feel yeah. like, um, particularly, you know, him being a professional wrestler and big in the 80s when that was a hedonistic time and, and wrestling was a sport where he probably was making some more money and life was more of a party and he was 20 years younger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there, there's that sense of all oh, things used to be great. Like things used to be a lot more fun. They used to be a lot better. Um, all of that stuff is in there and you could write papers about the metaphor going on in, in all different parts of this movie, but it also succeeds like Rocky does. It also succeeds as just one man's story. You know, I mean, he's a remarkable man, but in many ways he's just an average Joe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very much so. You know, and then that's true of Marissa Tomei's character also. And um, that it manages to be both profound and slice of life uh, to me is the biggest coup of this. It's like, wow, you really could write thesis papers about this. Oh, yeah. And almost sure. a number of different parts of this movie. Um, but it's also just a really good story and a really good set of performances. It's ultimately a small film, you know, yes. I mean, there's, and I, I think it also shows us how in our society, how our society views art and entertainment in that our society only cares about the people at the top, basically, because, you know, we, I've never been a big wrestling fan, but I think all kit, all people of our generation so the 80s was, I, I think, I mean, I watched wrestling when I was a kid. Did you watch it any, you know, with Hulk Hogan? And, I mean, I was never a massive fan, but, yeah, but I not, watched it not some. religiously. I mean, I no. was on TV. Yeah. But, I mean, as a small, you know, I grew out of it, you know, pretty early on. But uh, it was a huge thing, you know, in the 80s, and it's still popular now. Um, but you just see these guys, these other guys that he's wrestling with, that are these kind of regional wrestlers that are at the, you know, they're the bottom rung and you have, you know, the rock was a wrestler and all these, you know, John Cena and all these guys that are became big superstars. And then you have, you have all these other guys that are traveling all around and making peanuts, but they're abusing their bodies. Uh, and we see a lot of that, you know, in, in explicit detail, but I just think it really shows how, you know, and, and I, I think it's sad that uh, you have people who are artists and people working on entertainment, the vast majority who are maybe just eking out somewhat of a living or they're they're not even making a living. They're just doing it because that's what they love. And then you have the separation of the people at the top who make lots and lots and lots of money, you right. know. And it's pretty much any form of art or entertainment. We have that, you know, if it's acting or it's painting or it's singing or whatever, you know. That is depressing. Um, yeah, it is. It is. Because it really, you know, it, it really rings true. Um, you know, people are like having to spin up Patreon accounts and everything just to just to continue to make their albums or whatever it is. And yeah, yeah, and they, they could still have a record deal, you know? So it's like, it just feels really broken. It feels like the arts are all, it's just all exploitative. Um, oh yeah. But like you said, ultimately, you know, even though this is a sad film, it's somewhat of a happy ending because basically, so, you know, with the spoiler in this, he has the last match and he's, um, he has a heart attack earlier in the film and the doctor says, you know, he can't wrestle anymore, but he decides he's going to do it. He, he first decides he's not going to, and then he decides to, and he, uh, he has his final match against a, like an iron sheet kind of a, kind of a character called the Ayatollah. And, 
Yeah, Ayatollah. And, you know, he's his heart is failing while he's in the ring. And the very last shot of the film is his signature move was to climb up on the ropes and then jump, you know, and he jumps and that's. And it sort of leaps over the camera in slow-mo and off screen. And then it goes to black and we get Bruce Springsteen's incredible song, the wrestler that he agreed to let Aronofsky use for this. Yeah. And ultimately, you know, the, in his mind, the only real love in his life is the, is the crowd. Um, you know, he doesn't, he's, estranged from his daughter and even he tries to have this relationship with marissa tomei and you know um so his his only real love is in the ring and she shows up yeah you know and the reasons that she's hesitant are very clear to us right it's not that she doesn't like him she does like him right but it also doesn't feel crazy like yeah, he's not coming on aggressively or but he's coming on pretty consistently. And she's cautious for for reasons that feel completely understandable. Sure. To a person in her position. You know, and she's she hurts his feelings at least once. Um that seems incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, that scene is incredible. But, you know, but she sort of comes around. She shows up. She knows about his heart. And she knows that this, I mean, it's made clear that if he wrestles again, it's going to kill him. And he yeah. decides to go ahead and do it anyway. He says to her, the only place, <laughs> this is the only, the only place I don't get hurt is in, is in the ring. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. And what the, what's really interesting about that is I think the crowd is like, oh, they're not, you know, they know it's entertainment. They're not really hurting each other. But, of course, we get to see that they are really hurting each other. Mm-hmm. Like, the moves are fake. The The atomic elbow and the things like that are designed, they're, they're theatrical, right? But by the end stage, we got guys who are stapling him with a staple gun and you know, and they hit each other with chairs, and you're not faking that. That's wham, you hit somebody with a chair. So it's like it goes from this sort of 70s um playtime kind of, you know, off the top ropes, and you get your head hit and you go, oh, you know, to to actual blood mm-hmm. and cuts and abrasions and bashings and being thrown out of the ring, right? The ring has got this sort of special floor. That bounces, but the cement but floor of whatever falling, state, you know. exactly. Yeah. Um. You know, and and so the whole thing escalates over time until now he's twenty years older, and now is a totally different, almost masochistic, um, a uh, game of how much abuse you can take, and they've got sort of cut men in the in backstage who are sort of literally gluing him together and suturing him up, and. Uh, I read one review that pointed out, you know, he goes he goes into the ring with uh, literally a broken heart, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. She shows up and she's like, "I'm here, don't go." And he's like, "These, you know, this is this is where I belong." And he goes out in the ring and well, and when he, the, you know, right before he's going to go up on the top rope, or maybe he is on the top rope, he looks over, he looks up to see if she's there. And she has left just because she can't stand to watch him. She can't stand to watch it's him not, kill himself. It's not because she doesn't want to be there for him. She just doesn't want to watch it. And he looks and sees that she's not there. And it's seemingly like, well, she I don't left. have anything else. Right. You know, I don't I don't even have, you know, she left. She gave nothing, up on me. Nothing for you me know? to climb down from here to. Like, right. I climb down from here and go to and do what? For what? You know, nobody there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which again, you know, I mean, that's, you know, a heartbreaking little moment there because it's not like she doesn't want to be there for him, you know? Um, so yeah. But it, it underlines, it's like, but we come to believe it, right? 
like this is all you can do, man. This is what you're born to. This is what the people love you. This is this is what you are. And we come to believe it. We come to accept that as true. Um Well, and you know, you you see this a lot. So, you know, being somebody who loves movies, I like to watch interviews with actors and you will you will hear a lot of actors say um this is the only thing that i can do this is the only thing and you know obviously these are these are people again you know at the top of the field and so they manage to work it out but but you'll hear a lot of them say i you know i tried other jobs and i was terrible at them you know i couldn't do them and if i hadn't found this i don't know what i would have done and it's you know i think most people it's, you know, we have things that we're passionate about and we want to do. And, and for lots of people, you ultimately wind up, you know, you fall into whatever you fall into. Maybe it wasn't the thing that you had planned to do all of your life. But you kind of wonder what it would be like to be somebody that is just like, this is the only thing that I can do. I, I can't do anything else. And I'm going to do this no matter what, whether I make any money or not, whether it kills me. I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going to do. You know, I'm not, I, I can't do anything else. Um, and I think that's an interesting thing to explore in, in a film and somebody who had some success, but now, you know, they're again, they're ultimately at the end of their life and it hasn't really turned out the way they, they wanted it to, but they still, you know, he lived on his own terms, I guess. Yeah. 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 And the other thing I love about it is it's, 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 there's a lot of dialectic in this. It's not either or, um, Mm -hmm. it's, it's one thing and it is also the apparent opposite. Um, because he does love doing it. Nobody's making him go in the ring. Yeah. Um, And we don't see anyone in his life telling him that's his only option. Um, he believes that's his only option. And in, and from one angle, he does die. He chooses to do it. The doctor says, you know, you almost died. Um, and you might not be so lucky next time, right? You, you have to stop. You can exercise, but that kind of intensity is, you know, is basically going to kill you. Mm-hmm. So he tries, he tries to take on more hours at the thing and he tries to, have a relationship with Marissa Tomei tries to put it back together with his daughter, but he messes up with his daughter and you know, it just doesn't seem to come together with Marissa Tomei, despite the fact that she, by the time she shows back up, she hurts his feelings and she shows up to apologize and to tell him not to do it. And that she's willing, she's, I'm here, you know, um, I, I do, I want to see where this could go. Um, he's already all amped up and they're chanting his name and they're playing his theme song. That's another great moment. They're standing there talking and she says, you know, what about your heart? What are you doing? You know? And he's just about to respond. Like he, he's just about to say something heartfelt and uh, the lick they, they start playing um, sweet child of mine. So you hear mm-hmm. that lick from the ring, his theme is like, and it's just the yeah. stadium and the crowd goes nuts. And you can see that hook. He's just like, I gotta, you know, that's my cue. I gotta go. Yeah. And he steps out through the curtain and the, the spotlight hits him and the crowd such as it is goes crazy. It's just such a great moment though. It's like that once she almost had him Mm -hmm. thinking like, well, maybe, you know, maybe if there's you, there is something else. But then the ring was like, where are you going, man? Come on. Showtime. (laughs) It's just such a great, that's just a great moment. And, and you know, your heart breaks too. Cause you go, Oh man, I was close. Mm hmm. And he does up on those top ropes with his heart's hurting. And we see it, you know, we see it. It's all very paint by numbers at that point. He looks back up to the balcony where she was, where they were standing before he came down the 
the gangplank there and she's not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So he turns back and he jumps and that's it. <laughs> you know, another great scene is when he's going, and I don't know if it's the first day that he's going to do the, that he's going to work the deli counter, but we see him, you know, he's like starts in the break room and he shoots it from behind him. So, you know, the camera is following him as he's any, he, you know, he winds through and he goes down the stairs and they have, it's kind of faint, but they have like the crowd noise as if, you know, and it's yeah. as if he's going out and he goes to, and they have the plastic, like the plastic slits or whatever to. It's like a curtain. In the doorway to go out and, and he pauses there for a moment, like he's going to go out on stage. And you're you hearing know? the crowd, man. Ram, you hear ram, the, ram. Yeah. You're it's called the, the ram, crowd. right? Yeah. yeah. I thought that was a really. And then he goes pushing out. It's like showtime and it's the deli counter. Yeah. I thought and he that does was pretty a really well. tremendous scene. He does pretty well. Yeah, he well, does pretty well. But eventually there's a, you know, there's this one woman that wants potato salad. She's like, a little, little more. He goes and gets some more and she's like, a little less. And he has to goes back, takes some out. And she's like, a little more. <laughs> just like four times and, and i think anybody like, that's ever dealt with the public you know you oh my god you know we've all kind of had those feelings well but particularly oh. when you're like he has a relationship with the public right the yeah. public who has paid to come see him and it's his adoring fans right and this is this is another facet of the public right so in some ways the wrestling is a service industry. He's a he's a performer. He gets paid to put on a show, right? He's being paid for his service to give them what they want. And at the deli aisle, he's being paid to give them what they want, but it's a different them and it's a different want. Yeah. And in the ring he can do no wrong, but at the deli counter it must sort of feel like he can't not that he can do no right, but he can do wrong. You know, there's a certain, yeah. I don't know if you've ever waited tables, but it's like one no. real bad customer and it's not, oh. they could just be having a bad day, but it could ruin your whole day. I never waited tables and I know I, I have a lot of empathy for servers because it's <laughs> something I know I would be terrible at. I just know I could not do that job, you know? And, uh, so yeah, I have, I have a lot of empathy for, for servers and, you know, some people are just terrible you know, uh, and can't be pleased. So, um, along those lines, I can remember this movie makes me think, I can remember when I was a kid, I used to watch, uh, Siskel and Ebert, you know, all the, I would watch them every week and they would talk a lot about how, and I can't think of a specific film, but they would talk a lot about how they wanted to see what, you know, people's jobs were like, they wanted to, you know, they'd have a character who was, they worked whatever kind of job and, and they would complain that they, they wanted to see more about their work. And as a, as a kid, I always thought, oh, how boring that, that would be, you know, I only want to see escapism. And in this movie you're seeing, I mean, him, him work two different jobs, but I think it's really interesting how he, again, a, not being a wrestling fan and not really caring much about that, getting to see what the lives are like of these, again, these lower level kind of regional uh, wrestlers. And there's a sad scene where they're having like a, like a meet and greet kind of a thing. And, you know, only a couple people show up for him, but you see him looking at the guys at the other tables and they've got their videotapes and and things. And one, uh, one guy's in a wheelchair you know, and that's when he starts to, you know, you could see kind of the realization of like, oh, this is where I'm going to, where I'm going to wind up. In you fact, know? I'm already here. Already here. Yeah. But I'm still, but a, but a few people still come to have me sign something and take pictures with them. Nobody's coming to see these guys, but yeah, I'm sitting there. Uh, here I am. <laughs> you know, it's like, not like that's where I'm going to be one day. I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> <I'm here."> yeah. <laughs> I, th- there's again, a really funny, of... there's a funny bit too. The reason he misses his date with his daughter, he forgets is that this, this uh, Ayatollah rematch was like the 20 year anniversary of like the big match at the peak of his career or whatever. And he thinks that, oh, this might be, this might lead to something, right? I mean, this might reignite some interest. 
so he's kind of feeling up and he's out at um you know i think i, I don't remember precisely has marissa tomei just spurned him for whatever so, reason, yeah. yeah, he's out mm -hmm. at a at a bar, and you know, there's a woman who's coming on to him, much younger woman, is coming on to him very strongly, and they do coke, right? Mm -hmm. And he ends up having sex with her in a bathroom, and it's very mm -hmm. '80s. Yeah, and he wakes up, and she says something that at the time seems a little non sequitur. She's like, "You want to party like a fireman?" Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, hey, and he follows her into the bathroom. They do coke and then they're having sex. Like in the public bathroom, a woman walks in. She's mm -hmm. like, oh, get a room, you know? It's yeah. Very wild. And then uh, he wakes up in what we realize is her bed that it looks almost like the same bed she grew up in. It looks almost like a high school student's room, although this this woman is not a high school student. Right. But there's just fireman paraphernalia all over. The, he's wearing a pair of fireman boots. Yeah. And there's fireman posters and look, the wallpapered <laughs> with fireman stuff. Like she's got a frightening fireman thing to a degree that you're just like, oh, what is, oh no. <laughs> what, yeah. what happened here? <laughs> so he peels off these boots and he grabs his stuff and she's in the shower and he like sneaks out of the house. Um, yeah. And realizes that he missed his daughter's, you know, the dinner that his daughter had finally gotten excited about rekindling their relation. But that's it. That's the final straw mm -hmm. with her. She's like, that's a great scene too. When she's like, oh, I yeah. never, she's like, look at me. And she looks him right. In the she's like, I never want to see you again. I never want to hear from you again. I don't yeah. care about your heart. I don't, you know? Oh, my God. Yeah. And his performance is like he didn't. He's crushed. He's destroyed that he screwed this up. You know? Mm -hmm. He doesn't yeah. get defensive. He doesn't try to explain it. You know? He doesn't try to brush it off. He knows he messed up. He knows. And he regrets it. But mm -hmm. that's just so rough. Because I think we've all been in there where you're like, Wow, I I did this. I mm -hmm. screwed this situation up, you know, and I've got nothing and nobody to blame for it but myself. Ugh, man. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know, is there anything else that we haven't covered? Like you said, there's so many facets to this that I mean, I think I think there's a lot, but um I think in some ways it's sort of um it's a movie that kind of splits the difference between um, Requiem for a Dream and Black Swan, right? Mm -hmm. Because yeah, I think there's that's elements good. of performance. There's elements of the performer's relationship with the public and the performer's relationship with themselves. I think there's, you know, substance issues across all three movies in some ways and mental health issues across all three movies in some ways. Um, Requiem for a dream is just so, I mean, I think it's so difficult to watch. It's so upsetting and depressing and bleak. Um, and black Swan is scary. Mm -hmm. It's shot more like a horror film shot more conventionally with, with camera, you know, a more traditionally stylized film, but it also talks about, you know, the sort of abuse to one's body that a form like ballet that, that, that they subject themselves to and what it does to their body. And in this one, I feel like all of those themes are present, but um, it really tries to stick. It really tries to focus on the sort of, psyche of this cultural you know so we have somebody who's a performer and it's not it's it's it is also it, it is the individual but it is also what the individual comes to represent and it is the sort of tension between the ram the persona that he plays the commercialized mm -hmm. object that this person right the persona and the person and uh and i think that in some ways it is the most 
successful in terms of highlighting that relationship of all three of those movies, all three of which I really like. I don't know. Um, yeah, you don't necessarily you you like his character in this, whereas I wouldn't necessarily say in the other two movies you necessarily like the characters. Right. You feel for them, but they're not necessarily. You know, the goal you don't is identify. not identify. The goal in those films is not doesn't feel like it's about trying to understand what it's like to be them. And I think mm -hmm. in this one. He really succeeds in making us empathize with this character, you know, to yeah. really feel for him and really see that he's trying and that he's not good at everything and that he does understand, you know, that his actions have consequences, but that he's just not, you know, and his frustration and not being able to just be something he's not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, he doesn't blame other people. Like he's not grousing about how he got a raw deal. Um, no. Um, he turns it all inward. And I think that's actually very relatable too. Um, sure. No, I think that, that for as depressing a movie as this ultimately is, it, it doesn't feel, it's sad. Um, mm -hmm. but, it just feels, oh, I say a tragedy because it just feels like there was no other way that this could have happened. <laughs> you know, it no, felt inevitable. No, it's like, well. Couldn't play out any other way. This guy's going to die in the ring. I mean, and you don't want the character to have some other arc. And if he'd have found some happy life and they'd have gotten, somehow gotten out of the trailer park, like, how was that going to work? Yeah. Right? How was their relationship? Was he going to move in with her? I, You know, it just, it's a romantic thing. And that's beautiful. And that felt real. But at the end of the day, how much water does that actually carry? Like they're both dug in so deep into these kind of hopeless feeling situations. Does does tying yourself together help that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you no. Know? Um, well, that's a depressing thought, but yeah, but I mean, it's it's so much more. You know, we're so much used. We're so used to the Hollywood hollywood version love of love finds a way right? people love meet solves and they everything. just yeah yeah and this is a lot more like real life because not everybody is right for each other you right. know and um with mickey rourke himself I, I i've always thought it was a little sad i mean i'm sure he's he's doing fine but that he didn't you know this was a bit of a, a comeback you know sort of comparable I think of it sort of like in terms of John Travolta with um, Pulp Fiction. You know, it wasn't like Mickey Rourke had completely gone away, but, you know, he, he got so much attention from this and he went on and, you know, he was the villain in Iron Man 2. Um, but I don't know that he parlayed this into a huge comeback, you know, whereas Marissa Tomei, you know, I mean, she's in the Spider-Man movies and, you know, she's had a, a pretty consistent career. But I, I always thought it was a little sad that, you know, Miggy Rourke just showed, uh, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure exactly what kind of films after this, that necessarily that he fit into, but I mean, he just does such a tremendous performance here. And well, the other uh, thing I really like about Aronofsky as a director is, he seems to really have a clear sense of the actors that he wants to work with. Hmm. And I think he must meet with them and have conversations about what he's going for and the way they work. And once he feels like this is a good fit, um, he really seems to invest him. Uh, again, I'm just intuiting this from what I see on screen, but when a director bothers to really work with actors, um, and, you know, some actors have the discipline to go. And Daniel Day-Lewis comes to mind as a person that just does meticulous personal work in terms of preparation to the degree that some people make fun of it, right? Some people mm -hmm. make fun of how in character he goes or whatever beforehand. And all I would say to that is, um, you know, let's look at the films. <laughs> you know, it seems yeah. to be working for him. So... Maybe he's onto something or, you know, maybe not every actor works that way, but 
it's it's he's getting nominated for Oscars because those performances are crazy. I think when a when a when a director is willing to spend that kind of of time working with an actor, um, you're gonna get better results. Oh yeah. And I think that starts with a careful selection process. So, I mean, didn't we see directors working with the same talent um, more than once often? They say, oh, I really, you know, I, I liked working with that person. I want to work with that person again. Like, we understand each other. But um, Aaron Aronofsky hasn't seen, you know, he hasn't really worked with characters or with actors over and over again. Yeah, you know, but he's is... got, um, you haven't, you still haven't seen the Noah one, but yeah. Um, What's her face is in that from uh, Requiem. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, I guess you're right. I guess there isn't a bunch of but, repeat. And like you're talking about, you know, what Marissa Tomei put into this and, and then Mickey Rourke too. You know, I don't know how much time it would take to work with wrestlers to become convincing enough on camera to but but it seems very convincing oh, and it's completely convincing and i i don't know <laughs> what uh was said about this at the time but the shape that he got in at his age he had to have been taking steroids i mean yeah. just like the characters in the film i mean i don't know that that would be possible without steroids you you forget it because he is so he's so big and bulky. It looks like he's made out of bubble gum, right? He's this mm-hmm. huge he man looking with uh, you know l- below his shoulder blades, bottle blonde, you mm-hmm. know, um the the full on good guy, the the Hulk Hogan hair, that kind of yeah. corn silk yellow dyed hair. And he just looks so much the part mm-hmm. that you forget it. And then as a guy, he's just this kind of like almost like the dude. He's so easygoing and gentle and mild, soft spoken. And all the scenes backstage where the wrestlers are are all talking to each other, um, they're all a bunch of sweethearts. Like they're all yeah. like, Oh, hey man, wow. That's mm-hmm. so great to meet you. You're the reason why I got into this business. Like, hey man, I saw you on you know, when you did your fight against whatever it's like you've got a lot of potential, man. I, I you, you're really going places. If you stick with this, like they're supportive and they're yeah. friendly and they're nurturing and they're complimentary. And the one guy, you know, he sees one big guy who's all jacked. He's like, oh, look at you. And you, you clearly crazy. He's like, Oh no. It's like, no, 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 no. This, this, <laughs> you got it, man. Let's look at this. Mm-hmm. And so, it's so, and when they, when they, they plan out what they're going to do in the ring and it's improvisational, but they sort of sketch out, we'll do a number five and then a number three and we'll do one of those. And then we'll, and then, so, and then in the ring, you see the personas, there's always a big bad guy and he's the good guy. And then afterwards it's hugs and handshakes and high fives and let's have a beer mm-hmm. while the guys are like stitching them up. Yeah. And it's all feels in completely plausible it all feels completely real um and it's a you know it's it's like oh i've never seen behind the curtain here before it all feels true it does it it feels as true as a documentary and part of that is the camera Mm -hmm. but part of that is just the performance from everybody it's not just the leads it's all the bit parts feel real too and i wouldn't be surprised if he hired a bunch of if he cast a bunch of circuit um wrestlers mm-hmm. um you know who actually do because that's not a body type you know people don't dave Batistas aren't walking around no. <laughs> you know i mean maybe in gyms but they're not necessarily good actors yeah so I, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those other dudes are actual wrestlers probably yeah um but anyway i, I mean it sounds to me like it's two big thumbs up from us i I I can't I can't believe I haven't seen this until now. Um, I sort of wish I had just bought it, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, because I definitely will want to watch it again. I'm not going to rush and watch it again. It's uh, you know, it's not heavy. It's not but a movie it's that like, you put on in the background while you're no. You want to pay attention you know? to it. There's just yeah. every beat is so good. Um, 
I do feel like there's probably a lot I missed that now having now seen the movie, I'll go back and be, Oh, look at that. They're laying the groundwork for that. You know, um, mm-hmm. Chris and Chris talk movies at gmail.com. That's our handle. Like subscribe, send us a comment. Um, all of that fun stuff. We're on the socials. Do you have a sense of what you want to do for next time? You know, I was thinking about, and I haven't even looked to see what the streaming situation is on this, but I, um, was reading on Twitter, not reading, it was a video that I saw, that um, LA Confidential, the, and I don't know when this was, but the, uh, it was one of the producers or something in this video, said they tried to do an LA Confidential 2, and they got a lot of the actors, you know, were willing to come back, and they pitched it to all the studios, and nobody would do it. Mm. And it was just like, this is kind of amazing. But anyway, that got me thinking about LA confidential, which is a movie that I've never seen. Um, and have you seen it before? No. Oh, okay. Is it something that you have any interest in watching? Sure. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll check and see what the streaming, but it's a movie that I've always wanted to see. Um, and so that might be kind of fun since neither of us has, has seen it. Okay. I think it's a noir, basically, sort of, I think. I don't know. I, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I just know it's L.A. in like the 1940s and it's a, you know, a crime thing, but it has we a will, great cast. Yeah, we'll, we'll investigate okay. what the stream. I would think. Is there anything to... else that you can think of that you have you watched anything since we've last talked? Um, I watched Ahsoka and I have been watching. You know, the... I still have. Oh, yeah. I'm only two, still only two in. Yeah. Are you still into it um yep i'm still into it um i watched uh i've been watching the crown oh, okay which is really good um, i watched that at the time that was from a few years ago yeah right? yeah yeah it's very, yeah, i watched that back then very different um i watched i have we talked about did we talk about um arrival did we do arrival no, we haven't done Arrival. I think maybe we've talked about it in other episodes. But... I have seen it before, and I watched it again. And have you seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw it in the yeah. movie theater. I mean, I think that's a really good movie. That's yeah, Denny Villeneuve. We could do that one sometime. Um, but uh, but like I say, I I just watched that. So I mean, if you wanted to check it out again, we could do that. Bada Bing or. Um, let's see about LA Confidential. What the streaming, you know, situation is. You know, I, I would think, assume it's. I think I did see LA Confidential. I think I saw LA Confidential when it came it's out one with Guy Pierce and it's Guy Pierce, huh? right? Yeah, I think that was the first I ever became aware of Guy Pierce. I don't. I okay. think I saw that even before I saw Memento. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I've never seen it. So, I've but always, it's, it's certainly been a long time. And uh, and um, um. It's Guy Pierce and uh, it, I, Australian to see. Gladiator. Um, oh, Russell Crowe. Russell yeah. Crowe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I randomly watched. I only watched the first episode, but uh, Tubi has um, Miami Vice, the original Miami Vice series, which I was one of those shows where. I wanted to like, you know, it came out when we were kids. I wanted to like it, but I was, and I watched it kind of here and there, but was never that into it. And so I watched the first episode, which first episode is a two-parter. I haven't watched the second. And it's about how they became partners. Tubbs came from New York. And man, I don't know if you've watched any of those, you know. Not since we were kids and it was on TV. I don't know if, if it keeps that consistency. You know, of course, it's Michael Mann. But man, the first episode is fantastic. I'll have to check that out. And it's yeah, it's on Tubi, so you know if you can stand the ads, it's, you can watch it for free. It's not like a million ads in it, but you can really see how. I mean, it does not. I I expected it to be corny, and it's definitely eighties, you know, yeah. with the look and the music yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Stuff. The there's one up, part the where lasers with pushed up slaves. Yeah. There's one part where Tubbs is in a strip club. And the 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 stripper is dancing to uh, somebody's watching me, and like he's singing along to it and stuff. So you know, there's that. But beyond that, it is not corny, and you can really see, wow, how this was a 
that it probably really changed television because it's, it did. It just I think looked, we were too young yeah. to understand it to really I appreciate. Think we were too young it. to understand it. Yeah, I think we were looking for the A team, and yeah. we got Miami Vice, and there was a lot of style, but we didn't. All There's of the other of, stuff was kind of going over our head. But it was There's an enormously style, but... seminal show at the time. Like it was incredibly but popular. The... The, I was impressed with how good the acting is and just the camera work. I mean, it's very cinematic. And I mean, it looks like it looks like a film. And you can just really see how it probably influenced everything afterwards. I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to like heap too much praise on it, but I was really impressed with it. It's like, wow, this is good. Yeah, you know? yeah, check it out. Um, Take a look at the yeah, my so gonna, You know, it's it's pretty easy to of course it's that old the old school film. Uh, or old school TV format where it's 22 episodes or whatever it yeah. is, you know, so there's a lot, I think there's six seasons, but, um, but yeah, I was, I, w- I would highly recommend checking at least based on the first episode. It's, it's great. So cool. It's interesting to go back and watch it now, you know, yeah. cause you can relate much more to the, cause like Crockett has a bad relationship. He's, he's divorced and, you know, there's a there's a really great scene where it's sort of like this movie where his partner dies. And so he's late for his son's birthday and he's drunk, you know, and so a little bit of parallel you yeah. know, with this movie that yeah. we watch. So, yeah, I would highly recommend checking it out. Cool. Um, I am so. getting pinged by the powers that be that I must right. now do. Yeah, we talked for a long time. Family duties. All right. Um, but always a pleasure. And um so we're not sure what we're going to do next time, but it'll be something interesting, possibly LA Confidential, possibly The Arrival, um, possibly something else. And unless you have anything else you'd like to add. Nope, that's it. The two of us will talk to you all next week.